next episode is an epistemology style episode as a lot of my episodes are and this one's about history as a lot of my episodes are now um, Australia is panicking a little bit uh, because we have a lot of things regarding our history stored on tape and tape is fragile movies um, speeches for example by ex-prime ministers but a hell of a lot of footage relating to our history um, we have a lot of other things stored in a fragile manner too no doubt papyrus, <laughs> parchment, <laughs> all that sort of stuff, you know, paper. Um, we are panicking a little bit, uh, and it has been in the news, uh, and the reason for that is, and the head, uh, headline on the ABC ran like this a little bit, um, we are in danger of losing our history. If we don't digitise that stuff, soon. Now we're talking a lot of stuff. Um, a hell of a lot of stuff in the, I think it's the Australian National Library or something like that, for example. Um, probably millions and millions of hours um, of footage, for example. Yeah. That could be anything from political stuff all the way through to football and cricket. But the point is it's all part of our history and um, if we don't digitize it fairly soon a lot of it is going to deteriorate you know you'll pick up a canister or whatever they call it a film canister and um, it'll all be you know be the old celluloid or something and it will have all kind of just melted into a gunk maybe not that bad but um, I've even got some old tape myself um, and it starts to melt, you know, as you play it, you see the, you see the drips come down on the screen as you're watching it. Um, it's where the tape is melting. All right, here's the thing. Um, we Australians, rightly or wrongly, think that if we don't keep our records, hard evidence we will lose our history we won't know our own history we will forget very quickly we won't know our own history now I've seen it now let's compare this to uh, some comments I've heard from other countries recently now that's our attitude if we don't have records about our history, we um, don't know our history. Well, obviously we'll know something about it, but um, we'll be missing the detail, the nuance, the context, and all that sort of thing. We'll get it wrong. That's what we think. We'll get it wrong. And I, I think that's the, that's the case. You do get it wrong if you rely on just word of mouth, handed down from parent to parent to parent and mob to mob to mob and community to community to community and all that sort of thing, you know. Um, because, you know, let's say someone's a bit of a hero in your history. 
does something heroic. Uh, Alright, think of a hero in your culture. Alright, now this person is a hero, let's just say that. Now, the first generation after that person dies, that is explaining, that is talking about that hero to the next generation, um, will tend, uh, will tend to um, play down. I don't want to use the word exaggerate and all this sort of stuff, but play down his faults and the fact that he did some humdrum things like go to the toilet, for example. You know, won't even talk about that. You know, it's got to a point with Jesus, for example, that we kind of think he never went to the toilet at all, because what we've done is we've played up his positives, his sermons on the mount, and all that sort of stuff. You know, talk about that stuff all the time, and we forget that he probably um, got a bit pissy sometimes. You know, we, you know, he was probably shopping for um, something and he gave someone two denarii, and. Um, and the guy, and they gave him half as much lamb as he thought he was going to get. And he said, hey, you know, we play down all that stuff. And we play up all the, where is it, wise, you know, oh, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so similarly, you know, pick a hero, any hero in your culture. And, um, and the first generation after that person dies, the entire culture will tend to talk about the heroic things that person did, and even bump them up a little bit, play those things up a, you know, a bit. You know, it's a bit like the Spartans. There were 300 Spartans went up against 25,000 Persians or whatever. Now, at the time, I think historians now know that there were probably, yeah, maybe there were 8,000 or 10,000 Persians and you know, maybe 2,000 people on the Spartan side. Because um, when... Uh, but now it's come down to us that there were 300 Spartans and 25,000 Persians. And I don't think anyone's been evil along the way. But no one kept any records at the time. No one did a head count at the time. You know, the way when Australia is involved in a war, um, and even actually when the Romans were... But, you know, when Julius Caesar... You know, go back, go forward a little bit from the Spartans. Even when Julius Caesar... Yeah, he kept records, although, you know, he inflated his own um, record. Yeah. But the point is, um, in the absence of any records of a war, you know, um, the first generation will say something like, we had a whole many, many Spartans. How many, Mum? Oh, 100, 300 and something. 300. 300, son. About 300. Um, exactly 300, Mum? No, I don't know, but, you know, ballpark. Um, and uh, and what, they went up, up against 2,000 Persians, Mum? Yeah, but thousands, thousands of Persians, maybe 3,000, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, wow, how did they beat all that? Well, um, the Spartans had all their slaves as well, their, and they had their helots. Um, what's a helot, Mum? <laughs> Well, you know, like you had the elite Spartans, but then they had their support stuff. And so they were in the battle as well. Oh, so it's not just the 300 Spartans doing the jabby-jabby. No, 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 that's right, son. Ah, all right. And their son grows up, and he's explaining to his daughter, for example, all right. <laughs> um, 
How many spartans were there? 300. Um, oh, wow. How many Persians? 3,000. Oh, wow, says the daughter. Gee, we were pretty heroic, weren't we? Yeah, we were. <laughs> and, um, and then she forgets to challenge. Um, yeah, and the son doesn't, you know, who's now a father, doesn't want to, you know, doesn't feel the need to talk about all the other brave fighters that, who were the Spartans' slaves, who were fighting with the Spartans, under the direction of the Spartans. Yes, there were 300 elite Spartans there, and, you know, 500 fighting slaves as well. Okay. And then generation after generation, no one's doing anything wrong. They're just being proud of their own culture. But they didn't keep records. So the oral history is such that it can develop. Develop. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the fact that that turned into such a good story um, sustained Sparta and Greece and, in fact, made the next generation stronger because they were trying to be like a previous generation that wasn't quite as uh, amazing as they thought they were, but because this later generation, three generations down, thought they were, they became better. So it actually works. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a wrong thing, that's all. Um, now think of it. Think of someone in your culture who was a hero. Um, uh, you, you know, maybe died in a hail of arrows or something, or bullets, in a battle. Um, so, tell me what happened in that battle and the circumstances of that guy's death. Yeah. Well, the way it's come down to you by now, probably, is that he charged from the front on a white steed um, and took arrows uh, as he charged, saying and yelling out, charge, and everybody else was following, and um, and with 16 arrows sticking out of him, he was hacking and slashing the enemy and took 40 of them with him and became an inspiration and a hero. Now, what actually might have happened, he might have been sitting at his card table, uh, back a bit from the front line, and someone got crazy and he was having a cup of tea with his back to the fighting as um, did happen in the old times actually because uh, sometimes you had to take a break and um, <laughs> someone got crazy lucky with an arrow you know and, um, <laughs> and that was the end of him and his last words were oh that hurt <laughs> mum <laughs> you know it could have been like that, but the point is that you can see how it works. He was the leader of that campaign, and he was heroic as a rule. The fact that he died like that that time, and the person who shot him didn't even know that, never knew, never found out that he shot him because he did you know, the odd angry shot and um, had a crack and just fired an arrow into the enemy, enemy camp at 45 degrees, and um, never found out that he got the king. That's good. The way it's come down to you might be that he charged from the front, Alexander the Great style. Well, well you know. Was, um, all right, so that's that. Um, now, I've heard a few things from other cultures recently. When um, 
you know, you get historians from other lands um, investigating your land sometimes. This happened um, with the French and the English in Egypt. Yeah, they, um, they found the Rosetta Stone and um, figured out how to speak Egyptian, how to read hieroglyphics. And uh, the Egyptians didn't know how to read hieroglyphics all these centuries. They never knew how to read their own writing. And, um, and finally, the French and the English found a Rosetta Stone which had some hieroglyphics on it and a bit of a translation in Greek underneath and of course everyone knew Greek back then because it was the 1800s <laughs> and um, you, if you, in the 1800s if you were French or English and you didn't know Greek and you didn't know Greek you were uneducated it doesn't matter now <laughs> we don't care if you can't use Twitter now you're uneducated um, now here's the thing the French and the English were able to tell the Egyptians something about their history, the Egyptians' history. Yeah. Um, in a Twitter debate, for example, if an Englishman or a Frenchman tried to tell an Egyptian um, something about the history of Egypt, you know, an Egyptian might well say, not listening, we know our history, we don't need you to tell us our history, we know our history, and the reason for that is we're Egyptian. Yet that's not actually true, you know, because we're talking records here, hieroglyphics, and the Egyptian and the um, English and, uh, and I'm blocked here, um, and the English and the French um, were able to tell the Egyptians something about their history. You know, and the Egyptians know that actually, and they're fine with that. And they're cool. Egyptians are pretty cool. Um, oh, but the, with the Egyptians, actually, um, you get this situation. Um, I've seen on the internet, I'm not on social media, but you, in the news, you, um, in mainstream news, which I do read, there's often a link to a tweet or a Twitter argument, for example, and you know, you click in, and even though you're not on Twitter, uh, you can read it. You can read whatever comments, comments that um, some journalist has embedded into an article. And um, I've seen raging debates between modern Egyptians and modern Africans, including modern African Americans, for example. And um, there's a huge debate on Twitter uh, about whether ancient Egyptians were black or the color of modern Egyptians, the, the color modern Egyptians are now. Um, all right, now I think nobody knows uh, because I've heard both sides um, claim that DNA has proved um, that on the one hand that Egyptians were black and then on the other hand that the Egyptians weren't, that they were different ethnically. They weren't African, they were Egyptian, you know, a, a mob of unto their own. Now, and that, you know, Af Africans can't claim Egypt as being part of Africa just because in the last few hundred years, voila, we've worked out that Egypt happens to be on the same tectonic plane. But historically, that doesn't matter. You know, Egypt could be much more connected with uh, Greece, for example, even though Greece is on a 
different tectonic plate, but it's not about tectonic plates. It's about who, you know, where the cultural exchange is. You know, Ethiopia, for example, which is, um, you know, um, I have found very little evidence that Ethiopia has had much cultural exchange with what we call the rest of Africa in its entire history at all. All, just about all of its cultural and even DNA exchange um, seems to have been up into the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean world was a world. Africa wasn't a world back then. Africa was a couple of different worlds, and one world there was one world that sort of took in you know, Rome, you know, Greece, the Persia, you know, on the fringe there, um, down into the Fertile Crescent across into you know, Yemen and around to Abyssinia and up into Egypt and yeah that was the circle and, and, and then across to India and that was a world now what people do these days is they look at a map look at a map and say Africa's a world because it looks like a world you know what I mean as I look at it you know you can see it it's got a shape yeah but that shape didn't matter back then because no one knew it had that no one knew that shape existed back then so that was irrelevant back then anyway there's a huge debate there's a huge debate. Um, the uh, typical modern Egyptian denies that ancient Egyptians were African. Um, and your typical African needs to claim Egypt as part of Africa, you know, uh, more closely related to Africa than Greece, for example. And the reason they need that to be the case, because then they inherit Africans get all the pride, you know, they inherit all the pride associated with the glories of ancient Egypt. Um, you know, they get to have that in their knapsack, you know, in their in their Christmas hamper. As, you know, we were kings, you know. And I even saw a band. I think this is where I might have seen the tweet. Actually, there was a band called Sons of Kemet. K-E-M-E-T, which I believe is an ancient name for Egypt. And, um... There's a band called Sons of Kemet, but they're African-Americans. Whereas the average um, modern Egyptian would say, what are you doing? You're, uh, this is cultural appropriation. You're African-Americans probably from down in Nigeria or somewhere, or the Congo, or whatever, and you're dressing up like Egyptian pharaohs, for example. You know, you're, you're, um, you're a kind of Beyonce, Beyonce type or something, dressing up as Nefertiti or something, or, you know, whatever, or even worse, a Cleopatra, who was Greek anyway, yeah, and this sort of stuff, you know, um, and and giving the impression um, that there's a whole African, you know, that um, ancient Egypt was essentially African, uh, and, uh, and 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 the Egyptians themselves would say, hey. We were invaded by Africans at one stage, and they became pharaohs for a whole dynasty, those bastards, but they weren't us. They were our pharaohs, they took over, but then again, so did Alexander the Great. He was our pharaoh too, so does that make us Greek? You know, just because Alexander the Great um, became pharaoh of Egypt, are we now suddenly Greek for all time in the past, just because he came along and became a pharaoh? Yeah. And um, 
And just because Egypt, Egypt just because um, Alexander's uh, generals and everything became our sort of leaders, you know, like um, the Ptolemies, you know, Cleopatra and all that, you know, suddenly, oh, you see what I'm saying. And, um, but it goes the other way too. There was a, um, there was an African scholar who got onto Twitter, and this is a little bit funny, like, um, and he, and he gave a very serious speech, which I, I watched the start of it, it was, a, it was very academic, you know, and he had a podium and all that sort of stuff, and, you know, he had gravitas and all that sort of stuff, gravitas, you know, and, um, and he said, I will now take you through the evidence, the hard evidence, you know, and um, oh, as to why ancient Egyptians were Africans like me, and um, and how the modern Egyptian is actually a whole lot of um, Arabs, you know, who've come in, and um, he gave this speech, and then someone, um, and then what you do is you look in the comments under the speech, you know, and um, and he he was very austere and um, serious and dignified, this um, African, now where was he from? Uh, I can't remember, you know. Maybe he was from the Sudan or something, you know. Now, yeah, and the Sudanese or whoever was down there did come up, you know. The upper Egyptians came down to lower Egypt. They, they came down to the north. It's annoying the way the Nile flow, flows the other way. Upper Egypt is down south and lower Egypt is up north. <laughs> but anyway, um, he gave this serious speech and you can look into the comments um, and um, some Egyptian with an obviously um, sort of Muslim kind of name um, challenged him. And then <laughs> this dignified scholar <laughs> PhD. He even put his name, he put PhD after his name in his Twitter name, you know, like I might have a couple of PhDs, but I'm not, not going to say, you know, I'm not going to make this YouTube clip and say, Charlie Threadbow, you know, PhD. Um, yeah, maybe it's not a bad thing if you're being scholarly, but um, in his reply to this uh, Egyptian, uh, this African, yeah, man, this um, Sudanese guy or whoever he was, said, you Camel riding, dung, dung, bonking, <laughs> you know, piece of Arab crap. We, you know, you don't know, you know, go back, you know, go back to your school and slap them, slap your teacher in the face for not educating yourself properly. You know, all that sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, well, there's a change of tone. He hates Egyptians. He hates modern Egyptians because he wants to claim the glories of ancient Egypt for himself and why not you know. okay but it all gets back to um well in that situation everyone's nobody knows for sure um what the you know the detail key elements of the detail of the history of ancient egypt they just don't know and the same goes for other places around there um look at least egypt's got heaps of um records they left heaps of records in the form of hieroglyphics what about other countries um, around that area who've left far far less you know countries like you know, um, Abyssinia you know, 
and all those lands. Um, you know, you just get these tiny little fragments of rock, you know, and all that sort of stuff. You know, we're talking 3,000 years ago or whatever. Um, a bit more, you know, after, in the last thousand years, but, you know, I'm talking history around about the time of the Romans, you know, all that sort of stuff and before. All right. Um, and, you know, nobody knows that history. The reason is they didn't do what Australia is doing and making making sure they held on to their records. And Australians believe that if you don't hold on to your records, we could be wrong on this. If you don't hold on to your records, you very soon don't know your own history. Now here's the thing. Um, I've heard a couple, on a couple of occasions um, in debates and all that sort of stuff on the internet, whatever, news and all that sort of thing. People from cultures who have lost their records or who don't have records claiming that they do know their history now are we australians right or are they right one of the one example of this is um turkey um recently joe biden the um u.s president um recognized the genocide in armenia the U.S. has recognised, formally recognised that genocide before, uh, but not for a long time. Actually, in the time from Reagan onwards, presidents have been reluctant you know, to kind of mention the genocide of Armenians at the hands of the Turks. And it wasn't only Armenians. I think I'm pretty sure some Greeks uh, got slaughtered at the same time and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway. Um, from Reagan onwards, or after Reagan anyway, um, president after president after president has wimped it. And that goes for all of them. Um, on the question of uh, recognising what does seem to be a fairly strong evidence-based point of view that the Turks committed some sort of genocide or attempted genocide against Armenians in World War One. Now, um, so Biden, you know, the first president who's had the guts to say anything, all the rest were wimps, you know, whether you're talking Clinton or Trump or whoever, I think Trump was conflicted as well because he's got some hotels in Constantinople. Uh, but, you know, all wimps, all those guys. Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, suddenly becomes the strong one. Look, it's not about strength. It's about whether you've got, you know, whether the political winds are blowing in such a way as you feel you can sort of come out and say these things, you know. Um, the times make it the man, not the man make it the times to a large extent. All right. Now, um, so, um, all right. So, you know, suddenly everyone's talking about it. Ah, oh, those bastard Turks, you know, they... They committed genocide against the Armenians, you know. And I saw just a comment, you know, but this would, you know, I've got no problem thinking that this would be indicative of, you know, or representative or, uh, of um, the way a lot of Turks would think. Um, the comment was, yeah, and the person wasn't phased by all this heat that Turkey was receiving. The person just leaned back, metaphorically, and said, not even listening to all of this because we know our history 
Yeah. And that gets me thinking, do you? Yeah, just because you are Turkish, are you quite sure that, for example, some Inuit somewhere, or some Maori, or someone, you know, someone out there, you might be a tradie in Turkey on Twitter. You say, no, I don't need to listen to this shit. <laughs> we know our history. Yeah? Are you quite sure you know your history, your own history, even though you're a Turk, more than, you know, where have you, you know, how much investigating have you done? Yeah? Are you quite sure you know your own history more than someone who, in, in from Australia, for example, who's not even Turkish, who has become obsessed with Turkey and, um, and read up on it and all that sort of stuff and looked deeply into the evidence and has um, committed his or her life to the subject of finding out all about Turkey. Are you sure? Yeah, I, th I think um, we tend to, um, we tend to say, if I'm Australian, I know more about Australian history than you do. That may not well, that, you know, often that's not the case. People just think they know, you know epistemology. How do you know? Hmm? All right. Um, what's another example? Okay, that, that's an example. Um, there are plenty of people all over the world. You don't have to be Turkish to have been investigating that um, incident. You know, when um, allegedly uh, Turkish people went a slaughtering uh, in the direction of Armenians. All right. But um, another example that came to my mind was, um, I know, so, did I mention, you know, um, I know someone who has been studying Ethiopian history obsessively, obsessively for years and passing some of that on to me, which, and some of that has sprinkled itself into my YouTube clips. And, um, and uh, that person has been getting onto Twitter and all that sort of stuff and having opinions or whatever, or asking questions, as a good philosopher should, um, but delving into the history of that other land, which is Ethiopia. Okay, and it's an, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's amazing how much she has got deep inside the history of Ethiopia, but only to the extent um, that stuff is discoverable. You know, because most of Ethiopian history, 99.9% of all Ethiopian history has been lost. Um, they lost the tapes, if you know what I mean. They didn't record it. So people get to make it up. It was that, what I said much earlier. It's, um, the history has been handed down, handed down, handed down. And of course, it, the way oral history goes, it colours as it goes down. Every generation tweaks a bit until you get a story. Um, that has elements of truth about it, you know, a little bit like the Great Flood, you know. There was a flood back about, you know, Indigenous Australians know that, um, because the Ice Age, you know, they didn't know it was the Ice Age doing it, coming, the Ice Age coming to an end, but, you know, um, now, was that the Pleistocene going into the Holocene? Um, I've been listening to an archaeology podcast, but I can never put together which of the, all these periods were now. But, um, you know, the Ice Age um, ended the last mini ice age or whatever it is and um and sea levels rose so you know and that's come down to us as a great flood that flooded the world in many many cultures because all over the world people 
um, notice ancestral lands being flooded. So, for example, Tasmania got cut off from the mainland. Or used to be, and New Guinea did too. Um, mainland Australia. And um, can you imagine? You know, we freak out now if you know one cave gets disturbed, one ancient indigenous Australian cave gets disturbed by some mining company going in there with the drills or whatever, and we think, ah, oh, the history. But that cave um, that was written into that cave, you know. Um, archaeology-wise, uh, and it's just been destroyed by some bloody mining company. Well, how much area of land lies in Bass Strait between Melbourne and Tasmania? Can you imagine how much history went underwater? You know, and that comes down to a great flood. But um, I don't know what um, version of the great flood came down in oral history with Indigenous Australians, but we know very well what story came down in um, in the Middle East, for example. Um, culture after culture after culture after culture, including the Jews, but not only the Jews, um, have this idea, you know, they have this memory, cast iron memory of a great, God sending a great flood and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, um, and they have a memory of an ark being there, and this is how um, it came to be the case that not everybody drowned. Whereas we know now that <laughs> a lot of people were living up in the mountains and never even got flooded. You know, <laughs> we know that now. <laughs> we know that now. How do we know that? Oh, come on. Yeah. Um, you know, we can dig and there's no shells. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so this person I know has become what I would call an expert on Ethiopia. A far better expert on Ethiopia than I would say I honestly think a better expert than 96% of Ethiopians now she gets on Twitter and um, whatever Facebook or whatever and um, and I've seen some of her things and uh, highly sophisticated questions she asks about this mob or that mob and what was the transition from this culture to that culture or this tribe to that tribe and you know um and uh, the king the emperor Johannes v um all right it has come down um to us that Menelik who was another who was another um warlord at the time uh, sent a soldier to shoot Johannes, and then, so that he could ascend the throne or anything, and you know, she might ask, and I, not this example, you know, there were no records about that battle at all. What's his name? Oh, we don't have his name, but he definitely was sent there by mentally. Oh yeah, do you know anything about any of that, you know? Um, the bullet wound, where it entered, Johannes' body and all that sort of stuff. Nope, we, but we know, it happened. we know it happened because we know our history. But they don't. They honestly don't. But just by saying you know your history and combining that with the fact that you are, for example, Ethiopian or Turkish in the previous example, um, it carries some weight that it shouldn't carry. I mean, it should carry some weight, you know, because, you know, when the stories get handed down, but there's no records, 
such as we have in Australia, um, when the stories get handed down, um, there is some truth. You know, there's a, there's a, a kernel of truth behind the stories, but they've been um, but they've been uh, embellished. You know, they've been romanticised to the be Jesus. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, the average Ethiopian wouldn't be conscious of that process. Well, maybe they would be. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I've, 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 uh, this same person gave me a copy of uh, Year 12, Year 11 and 12 Ethiopian History Book. And, you know, the history textbook. And it was um, rigorous as anything um, around how history works and all that sort of stuff. And it started off with... Um, What's his name? The Greek, um, you know, the father of history and all that sort of stuff. Um, and um, how, you know, what is hard history and what is soft history and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, of course, they would learn it at school just like I did, the Ethiopians. But the point is you do get a lot of people on Twitter, for example, um, you know, in the case of this person, um, who's my goddaughter, by the way, and, um, and, you know, she might put a well-thought-out opinion uh, on Twitter and um, that is critical of one mob or another um, or de devalues one of these romantic stories or whatever and you could get an Ethiopian sitting back saying I've seen the colour of your skin you are clearly not Ethiopian therefore you, don't know, you do not know our history we know our history um, and yet Australians would argue that if we lose our records, we don't know our history. You know, we are going to lose our history. So how do you get to argue the case that you never even had records, if you did, or if you did, they've been well lost? How do you manage to know your history with sans records, um, without your records, and... You know, by the same token, we have this stupid idea in our heads that if we lose our records, we will forget our history or it will get um, polluted uh, by romanticising and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it ends up that, that being the case, you know. And I, th I think that becomes... Um, uh, uh, different cultures have a different idea of what history is. And Australians have this idea of what history is... Um, being whatever has been that they can that we can verify with records otherwise we wouldn't come up with such a stupid idea such as um, if we don't preserve our tapes digitize our um, film and paper and audio records we will forget our history you know we have that opinion that we will forget our history whereas um, Ethiopians for example most of them would say no no don't worry about it just you know, you can, you can bin it. Bin all that stuff. Bin all your army records and all that sort of stuff. You know, you're in various battles in World War II. Shred all the documents to do with that because you know your history. You don't need documents to know your history. We know in great detail um, everything that matters about all the battles we've been involved in. And there isn't, you know, with most of those battles, and this is the case with the Ethiopians, there are no records at all. They've got this little um, trick in Ethiopia where there's a total blackout on all information out of 
battles and wars. Just a total blackout. You know, it could have been the case that 300 people died, or 30,000 people died, or 400,000 people died. There's just no record of how many people died at all, let alone people's names and everything. Whereas, you know, I, I was in the lawn recently. And, you know, we've got the we've got photos of all the soldiers that, from the lawn area who died in World War Two and World War One in the supermarket. You know, so we're into record keeping. Um, so you know, you've got to be accommodating, really. Um, so it comes back to epistemology, really, and what um, what sort of knowledge you're happy with um, when it comes to your own history, for example. And with Australians, we're happy with uh, knowledge about our history that is that was written, you know, that was recorded, for example. You know, we're not that happy with handed down legends and all that sort of stuff. You know, so that's one type of knowledge. Knowledge based on records. And we're very strong on that in Australia. Um, uh, but there are other lands, and Ethiopia is one of them, where if they have a battle even today, they black they, they, they cause a blackout because they don't want any records. Oh, there's other reasons for that too. But there, there was there's a war going on in Tigray at the moment you know, kind of civil war between the federal government of Ethiopia. And this is even in 2020 and 2021. And there'll be no records out of this war. Practically no records out of this war. We won't know, you know. Uh, um, but what will happen in the end, because there's, because nothing is written down, you know, in 10 years' time, when people are arguing about this war in Tigray that's going on at the moment, because... The internet was chopped and all those sorts of things, all those tricks, you know. Um, both sides of the battle uh, will be able to say that each of the two sides in the battle will be able to say, we were the good guys. Yeah. And international, international observers will say, well, we can't really tell who was the good guy. And you know, one side, which is the Amharans, will say, we were the good guys. And the international community will say, prove it. And um, the Amharans will say, we don't need to prove it. We know our history, and we know the history of this war. You know, the Tigrayans, by the same token, um, will say the same thing. You know, the international community will say, well, you're the good guys, you know. Yeah, in fact, we were the victims too. Um, prove it. And um, well, the Tigrayans will be able to point to, you know, um, mass burial sites and all that sort of stuff. Um, but as far as records go, you know, um, as to all the ins and outs, oh, let's say, you know, all the things that built up to the war breaking out in the first place, you know, are there any records about that in the Ethiopian parliament? Because that all seems to have started with arguments behind closed doors um, within the notoriously secretive parliament that is... Um, the halls of government in Ethiopia. Um, whatever happens in behind closed doors in Ethiopian government, nobody knows what's going on there. You know, like I've got this gut feeling that um, there were different factions, you know, a kind of um, Amharan faction led by Dr. Abby um, in... Yeah, this is well before all this war broke out and all that sort of stuff, but there was a faction, you know, because there was some power plays and there were definitely some power plays that went on because a kind of, you know, 
um, a Tigrayan, the Tigrayan elite that was within government um, were dominant. We kind of know that much, but we don't really know a lot. And then um, the Amharan mob within government rose up and marginalised the Ethiopian, uh, sorry, the um, Tigrayan elite that had been powerful within government. And then, um, and then that elite came up and the other elite fell down behind closed doors by the look of it. And then this mob said, there are no factions. We are all one and we are in charge. And then this mob, the Tigrayans, they said, we don't like this and actually walked away you know, because they didn't want to be part of this um, one Ethiopia. And they went back to Tigray and held their own elections. Now, who did the wrong thing in all of that? You know, there are no records. Um, but both sides can say, no, we were the good guys behind closed doors. Um, we were trying to do the right thing and the other lot um, wrecked everything. So, the, you know, Dr. Abbey and the Amharans and all that sort of stuff, they, you know, they can actually say that. No, no, before this war even broke out, these Tigrayans were being absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. And what do you expect, you know, when that happens? You know, they, would, they did not want to know about this wonderful idea of one Ethiopia. They did not want to know. And they went, you know, and they undermined the whole concept and went back to Tigray and held national elections in Tigray. You know, that's a red rag to a bull. That's a declaration of war. They started it. And not only that, um, they invaded an army depot and stole a whole lot of weapons and killed people. Um, and that triggered the whole war and it's their fault. And the Tigrayans can put up a wonderful argument the other way. But the point is, because there's no records, each of the two sides, each of whom disagree with each other, can both... Uh, can lean back and say we don't need records we know our history 